Hello and welcome to the BG Podcast. My name is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. And joining me is, as always, is Associate Hannah Garcia. Welcome to the show, Hannah. Hello, everybody. And this is episode 224 of the BG Podcast. We're actually recording this on November 20th, Monday. It's kind of a hybrid, just re- recognizing this week is we're going to the, the holiday week, Thanksgiving week, so it's going to be a little light. So we thought we'd wrap up uh, last week as well as talk about what's ahead for the week of the 30th today. So let's get to it. And just talking about last week, a few items that came up. Uh, one of the big things we've been talking about internally is the discussion around public outreach, specifically around the land use code. As we've seen the last several weeks, uh, recent or recent weeks, um, uh, there's been several uh, higher profile land code change ordinance or land code changes that have been passed in pr- the prior year that have subsequently been overturned or will be overturned by a court. And so, you know, we want to talk about that in the, la- in the lens of what's happened most recently with the HOME initiative, which is the housing options for middle-income empowerment and the difference of the outreach that was done around that as opposed to the past. So, Hannah, let's start with you, or start, we're only two people here. Let's dig into that a little more. Yeah, so um, just to kind of give you all some, uh, some context, um, this past year, um, several residents in Austin sued over um, four recently passed land development code amendments. Um, and that include vertical mixed use two, which you might see um, abbreviated as VMU two, residential and commercial, uh, affordability unlocked, and um, compatibility on the corridors. Three of those, um, VMU two, residential and commercial, and um, compatibility on the corridors, um, are go- were signaled that they were going to be overturned. We haven't got that court um, actual judgment from that yet, but the uh, judge uh, released a statement indicating that she was going to overturn them. Um, so we're waiting for kind of the reasoning for why, but um, in my opinion, after doing some research, uh, I I would say that just the difference in public outreach is stark compared to you know what was done for the home initiative. Um, I think just about every single homeowner got that purple envelope. Mm-hmm. Who's or affected homeowners? Yeah, right? affected homeowners. And to be honest, I think it's pretty much every single single family lot in the city of Austin. Like I live in a, a I just moved into a single family home. Um, I'm a renter. But it's my first time ever living in an actual home, and I got one. And so I'm, I'm not 100% sure of the zoning, but we got one that I, I kept. And um, not only that, but it was in Spanish, it was in English, it was in um, several other languages that I was could not identify on the back. Mm-hmm. And um, additionally, you know, we saw it posted in the Austin American Statesman. We saw a lot of outreach and um, just kind of posts on social media. Um, and I imagine also a lot of council members included it in newsletters and other outreach. Um, additionally, there were town halls held about this, mm-hmm. um, where you could ask questions. You know, when I was we were at the I was at the planning commission joint um, city council meeting, and they had development services staff out there to answer any questions that you might have. Um, and so it was just a lot of great resources. I think we haven't really seen before. Um, you know, because I was I attended a lot of planning commissions last year in 2022. Um, and, you know, you'd see like four or five people there mm-hmm. um, at these past planning commission meetings where um, I believe it was last Tuesday where they, they did the their public hearing for the home initiative. Um, I think there was, you know, almost at least 50 people. Mm-hmm. A visible um, difference in presence. Yeah, a visible difference. And so I, I think that we're going to see what was done for the home initiative be the baseline for public outreach. And the hope is that um, I know we've, I've just based off of articles, um, the homeowners have indicated that they are going to attempt to sue over the home initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll, we're really going to get to see, um, you know, what is um, 
standard for public outreach. Yeah, at least what the courts will say. I mean, what what they say, this is an appropriate standard for it. Because I think the important thing there is we'll have a baseline at least for future for future attempts. Which, if you look at this past uh, ten months or so, eleven months or so, the council has already indi- I mean, there's been an indication they we're moving into action anyway. I mean, yeah. and so it's more okay. This is the standard we can use. I don't doubt a suit will. You can sue over anything. It's more what will. And I think maybe it needs to go to court so it can be at least have that that codified standard. I'm yeah. sure it'll be appealed anyway, but at least it'll be solidified with the city for future councils or even this council uh, for next year about what maybe probably 2025 whenever it gets settled. But that, it's going to be key. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's going to be a, a major landmark case for for land development. You know, deciding what public the standard for public outreach is, and um, it'll I think it'll kind of dictate what a lot of a lot of other cities in the region do. You know, Buda, Kyle, Georgetown, Hayes County, and Williamson County, they're growing a lot. You see a lot of development there. Mm-hmm. Every time I go home, I think I see another building that's at least three stories tall. Uh, they got a Torchies out in Buda now. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's a completely different place than what I grew up in. So um, we're, I, I'm very excited, you know, just to see this because, you know, we're witnessing history, and that's always cool. Mm-hmm. And the Home Initiative, again, was the... the uh, it came out of Councilmember Pools, Leslie Pools' office, District Seven. So uh, she's and she, this is the latest of a, a few initiatives she's laid on around land development. Yeah. So the home initiative, for context, um, will allow um, a single-family home lot to have at least three units built on it. I believe tiny homes and RVs are included in that, as well as eliminating um, occupancy limits and mm-hmm. unrelated occupancy limits. So more to come on that. I I have no doubt in the next four weeks, probably maybe not this week, but I assume coming out of the holiday or before or following Thanksgiving and before the before the uh, Christmas holidays. Another news: we had the return of Council Member Natasha Harper Madison of District District One last week, and she was uh, at Mobility Commission uh, Mobility Committee. And you attended that one, Hannah. Yeah, yeah. She she was back on the dais, which was a very welcome surprise. I mm-hmm. didn't expect that at least. Mm-hmm. And um. At Mobility Committee, one of the things they were talking about was like safe routes to schools and e-bikes. And Councilmember Hopper Madison was um, talking, asking great questions, and um, I'm excited to see um, her back on the dais. All right, yeah, and uh, also just another news, and these are some articles that were really popular on the BG Reads morning newsletter. Uh, we had Austin's joining se- several cities and looking at how to best use their real estate assets. And so I know you were, you've been, we've been looking at this for some several clients. But what is this about? Yeah, so the city of Austin owns a lot of land, not only in our city limits, but in our extraterritorial jurisdiction. Yeah, the ETJ. Um, the ETJ. Um, and, you know, some of that is literally just an open plot of land. Uh, some of it is, like, we have a lot of land attached to the airport that is, um, I think, for potential expansions. Um, but there's a lot of land and, um, you know, potentially abandoned buildings, I believe, that could be used for, um, you know, affordable housing, um, community centers. All types of things that the city of Austin, I know council is very committed to putting in the city. Um, so very excited to see them go through that. There's, I believe, thousands of um, city-owned plots. So um, excited to see what they'll do with that because I know it was a bit grueling for me looking through that. So mm-hmm. um, best of luck to them. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, as we talk about, you know, the continual needs around housing affordability, maybe even preschool access, right? But there's, there's only so much the city can do when we're dealing with private property. But with this, they have you know a lot more le- you know, a lot more leeway, right? We talk about community benefits and just kind of extracting those from a development as it may go. And we saw you know the case with Mueller, the Mueller development, right on that one. So more to come there. And also, this was uh, breaking news on Friday, but it's since been updated today. Uh, but on 
on Friday, the interim city manager Garza released updated telework standards for employees, for city of Austin employees. This has been an ongoing uh, matter since, really since the spring. And it's, I think it's, it's not uncommon as we're seeing from the private sector as well about the, between, between staff and management, if you will, about, you know, when should people be in the office? Um, I think the city manager, interim city manager Garza originally had slated everyone to return to, to offices in the summer there's a lot of pushback of that from the city of Austin employee union asked me. Uh, and so I think that I think it's been tailored now to where city executives have been back in an office since really the summer. And originally and after, after that city employees, the date was, you know, around October, some pushback. So we haven't had a chance to dig into the policy yet. It was released on like late Friday, but we're reviewing that. But Again, it's uh, it's significant given the city of Austin itself is one of the largest employers in the city. Um, you know, I don't I, I don't know the exact number, but it's over thirty thousand, I believe, and so um, not insignificant. And just what that means for particularly for consumer-driven departments such as Austin Energy Development Services Department and the like will be interesting to see how that plays out. Both departments actually also have had just built new buildings prior or just during the pandemic. Yeah. So, no, like, so you how they get used. There's a very, I think, split pro and con list for this. You know, I, I saw a lot of um, presentations at Urban Transportation Committee Commission about how um, it's not good for the environment to have more cars on the road. So it's actually um, goes against the city's climate plan to have people return to office because, you know, we want people to be using their cars less. We want people to be biking. We want people to live in walkable communities. Um, additionally, the, there were safety issues as well. You know, the more people we have on roads, the more likely they are to get in accidents. But, you know, additionally, um, one of the things we read in McKinsey's review of development services was... This is McKinsey, a consulting firm. Yes, I've yes. with council member McKinsey Kelly. Yes, yes. Um, was that one of the reasons that a lot of um, customers at, you know, development services felt like they didn't weren't being listened to and weren't um, getting what they needed on time was because, you know, um, some of their... Uh, the people that were reviewing their site plans or whatever were um, had their cameras off, and so they never felt connected to them. And so I definitely think the the in person meetings, maybe occasionally, could definitely benefit you know that relationship between the consumers and um, the staff at the city. Mm-hmm. And also, just to note, just give me a shout out to Travis County um, city staff and modeling their the city of Austin telework program. Looked at Travis County's telework program, which you know they I think they were they've been ahead of this in terms of. Uh, you know, employee, what, what employees can and can't do for a while. So at least since the summer or prior, early in this process. So um, exciting, I'm sure, for all City of Austin employees. And give it, keep in mind, too, a lot of these folks, they don't, a lot of them may not live just in the city. So this, this we're talking about people coming in to commute from, you know, uh, Butte, you know, from Travis, or Travis County, geez, from Hayes, Williams County, and the like. Um, you know, so it can make a big difference on on those morning commutes for those of us who, aren't city workers. So yeah. more to come there. And then lastly, we had this in the BG reads this morning, but we are continually monitoring uh, for new declarations about folks who are going to run for council in 2024. Uh, thus far, we're st- you know, we have uh, District 2 run for elections council member Vanessa Fuentes. Um, and then in District 7, there are th- three current declared uh, folks, and we expect one more to declare there. Um, we have those listed in the BG reads, and I'll we'll link to that in today's show notes, as well as District 10. There's one declared candidate so far. Can't, we should note candidates can't officially um, 
file for the ballot until what, is July 22nd, I believe. It's yes. in July. Yeah, July. Right? Okay, I'm, reading, I'm going off, off my head. July 22nd, or from memory, July 22nd for a filing date. So, you know, up until then, it's, it's and I, I forgot what the deadline is, although it's August. So the field is, is far from being set. And as a reminder, District 7 and District 10, which is Councilmember Isles and Alter's seat, Leslie Poole's District 7 seat, are both open. They're both termed out um, this next cycle. All council members ha have at most two four-year terms. After that, they can you know they can go they can petition their district for another run if they want to. Also, that also on this ballot will be uh, District Four. We have Chitu Bella who will be running, or if he runs, will be running to for an outright term. He's currently filling the rest of of now Congressman Greg Casar's term. District Six, we have Councilmember Mackenzie Kelly who would, if she chose, run for election for that district. As well as the mayor, if he chooses to run, will be running for re-election. Just again for more background, Mayor Watson, when he won, was elected to a two-year term. That would be that was because the prior year, prior, I mean, prior two years, uh, city of Austin, one of the citizens of Austin passed a proposition which aligned our mayoral elections with president, the presidential election cycle. So that's happening as well now. If Mayor Watson were to run for election and when he would have one four four year term left before he's termed out, unless the petition is taken on that end. So a lot of a lot of uh, elections coming up for twenty twenty four is going to be this time next year. Well, I, this, I think we'll, have, we'll we'll know the council will be at that point, but it's going to be a really uh, electric uh, summer or twenty twenty four and fall. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, even just the fact that it's a presidential year. That too. I keep, you, know, you forget about those things, right? But yeah. yeah. So, very exciting. Also going into a session year in 2025. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if they ever, I mean, maybe if they might just, if, you know, we're in our fourth special session right now, they haven't even stopped, really. So, yeah. they might, they're close to, you know, I think they'll take a break, but it's been an, an extraordinary year on the Capitol front, which we won't get into on this show. So, with that, y'all have a great week and a safe, safe travels if you're going anywhere for the holidays. We'll be back next week, um, week, week of November 30th. Otherwise, take care. Yeah, have a good holiday.